Hey, hello, tennis fans. Uh, this is a particularly important uh, podcast week for us because at least two of our podcasters uh, had a birthday this week. So uh, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you guys on uh, deciding to have your birthday on the same day. I think that you made it a lot easier on your parents. And, uh, you know, now that you've turned 30, are, are you excited about uh, not only what the 30s hold for you in terms of, you know, possible family life, but just the blossoming of your tennis career. Uh, I definitely am because uh, I'm entering my prime right now. If uh, you look at the top hundred rankings and seeing, you know, the average age, um, I'm also like incredibly lucky that I'm 30 and I don't have a single gray hair. Hmm. <laughs> According to whom, Philip? According uh, to you? Well, or yeah, yeah. So. Uh, for my head hair, all I do is look in the mirror because I'm totally bald. And for my um, butt hair, uh, actually, Richard Gasquet told me that none of his uh, bleach from his new haircut rubbed off in that area. <laughs> yeah. Peter, have what you about you? Have either, did either of you guys ever, maybe during a, a, a moderate slump or maybe extended slump in your earlier racket sport, sports lives, consider bleaching your hair to kind of get things turned around? <laughs> you know, but um, we, we once played rock, paper, scissors to, I think it was actually a one-on-one -on -one rock, paper, scissors loser bleaches their hair. And um, I actually won the rock, paper, scissors. So the other guy had to bleach his hair. And um, he was getting hit on a lot more than he usually did um, after that for, for, for a uh, extended period of time. Yeah, mostly so, theater folks. Yeah, um, so, so he he was and, a Yale student and figured out exactly how many gay people there are at Yale. What was the correlation mm -hmm. between the the hair and the getting hit on, or the rock paper scissors um, humiliation <laughs> and the getting hit on? Did you did you guys do the math on that? <laughs> yeah, no. All these people thought they had a chance because he was so low from his rock paper scissors locks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hit on, I exclusively hit on girls who have lost in rock paper scissors recently. <laughs> Speaking of rock paper scissors, uh, what would you call like? Okay, so you have that feeling leading up to the birthday, and they kind of regardless of age, where you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm I'm sort of gaining emotional momentum. You feel a little bit more important than you have the birthday itself, where you know there's pretty much nothing you can do wrong. Yeah, everyone's uh, saying happy birthday. You tell the you know, person at the cafe you're, you're, it's your birthday. And you get even sleep. if you're 30, your parents put birthday hats on you and, and they jump up and down. <laughs> what, what would be the sort of opposite feeling? And, and you know, I kind of want to bring this into one of our, our cult heroes. But what would you call the opposite feeling of that? Um, I think, uh, and I've thought about this a lot, it's probably uh, Jack Sox season so far in singles. Is that and what it, is that like an anti-birthday? Is it just just the unbirthday? Is it birthday yeah, backwards? So, I mean, so as special as you feel on your birthday, as much free stuff that you can get on like <laughs> random cafes or like whatever as you get on your birthday, um, it's the opposite of that for Jack Sock this year in singles. How do you think he's handling it? I mean, is it that like that that the the, the anti birthday feeling is just infinitely more sour than, than the birthday feeling is sweet, or do you think he's 
just too thick in the skull to even notice. Um. <laughs> Sorry to pick <laughs> on him like that. So, so he's, he's um, aware of it. He is definitely aware of it. <laughs> Dude, he's, he's like 6 and 17 this year, and he's still the four seed in Stockholm. Yeah. Wow. He, he won the Paris Masters 1000 last year, and after he loses those points, he's going to go from a top 20 player to number 160 in the world. <laughs> he's going to literally have to play challenger events. Yeah, he's going to have to play challenger events. He's beyond, behind some like very, very um, anonymous names. Do you think he's just tried to rest up for these these two tournaments? I mean, is he just one of these who's been sort of playing possum and and saving all of his <laughs> his best for the for these for these tournaments? I mean, do you think that was part of a a larger, you know, slightly uninspiring strategy? So, like, I guess one um, parallel that can be drawn if we're going to buy into that theory is <laughs> Nicolas Mahout at the Sir Togenbach uh, tournament. I think he won it three years in a row, and like those were, like his single. That was like the reason he was top forty in the world in singles because like he like did not amass that point total like in all of his other singles tournaments combined, but he was just like randomly unbeatable in like the Netherlands. Yeah, but that's probably think, not the case for Jack Sock. So I, I I was thinking about this as well. Do you think that we uh, just un unfairly burden him by giving him the hyphenated name? Do you think our stocking stuffer really incapacitated <laughs> him for for seven? Is he a, and and if so, you know, can can we should we take it away or are we deriving enough uh, kind of? Uh, sadistic enjoyment from watching him lose with his Latino hyphenated name. I mean, look at the um, the corollary. Look at how well Delpo's played this year. Um, <laughs> like, the thing is, if we if we took away the uh, the, the the Del from Jack Del Sock, where would it go? Do <laughs> we give it to Milos? Should we try and weigh him down? Yeah, that's a good Maybe idea. More than the hair gel? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where do you get up to 15th in the uh, points race, though, so he, he's rising. Um, I was just looking at the ATP race, um, and Jack Sock is currently uh, 161 in the points race. And um, there are a lot of names I can't pronounce that are ahead of him, so I'm just going to stick to the Americans. The American um, directly ahead of him, who's number 136 in the points race, is named Bjorn Fratangelo. He's going to be ranked behind Bjorn Fratangelo next year. Then the, the next American ahead of uh, wasn't him, that the guy who got fired from the Sixers for having like these extra Twitter <laughs> accounts? Isn't that him? So he yeah, actually that's close. got fired from the Sixers, and he's already ahead. Yeah, of Yeah, he was the uh, Philadelphia 76ers general manager. <laughs> um, then the next American is Tim Sneezik. I've never seen him play. He's probably then, a part-time player. Then Riley Opelka, Noah Rubin, who actually I've won. seen play once because he was at the um, Australian Open one year playing Federer. And um, then number one th- 104 in the world, who I had no idea was having this bad a year, 
is Jared Donaldson. Hmm. Has he been injured? I don't know. That's a good question because he was in the next gen tournament last year and was like in the fifties and really on the rise. Yeah, he was. He was like playing well. You think he's just been a marked man because of his first name? All the liberals want to kick his butt, or or do you know you don't you don't see a correlation there. <laughs> Yeah, the liberals are getting aggressive on him. <laughs> he loses all the tournaments in California and on the East Coast, I understand. Yeah. So America, what, let's say Sock met somebody in a bar and he was describing, and he couldn't talk about his doubles season. How do you think he would frame it? And they said, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a men's professional singles tennis player. How do you think he would yeah, how do you think he, he could um, could spin 2018? Uh, I think he would emphasize the adversity that's going on in his life, valid or not, and he would emphasize how well he did at the end of 2017. Okay, okay. So there'd be some residual <laughs> kind of play with the dates a little bit? Yeah. Would he uh, say, like, last winter, I this is what I accomplished at the beginning of the winter, and so they wouldn't really totally be able to get the time frame right? He would talk. He would hype up how well he did at his best, and then he would he would um, acknowledge the adversity that's happened since then, fair or not, and um, just uh, give the sense that you know I'm legit when I'm when my mind, when my head's in the game, and I'm on the rise now. I also think um, he's from Nebraska, and like. Played golf at Augusta, which uh, in the off season, which makes me think he's uh, probably a Trump supporter. So, like, <laughs> what probably goes through his mind at a bar is, "Please don't bring up politics. Please don't bring up politics. Please don't bring up politics." <laughs> I understand. And make and make sure all the beer that's served on tap is American. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is a good segue. So, do you see? I mean, we're kind of coming to a close. I think we can assume that. Sock will not win Bercy, and he will not be an alternate or an alternate of an alternate or an alternate of the alternate of the alternates. I don't even think he'll be invited to the stadium uh, for the London Masters. Do you think? How do you think Americans can see their 2017? And, and would you be not that we have to, you know, be definitive, but would you be be bullish or bearish on them? Uh, particularly the, the now that Fertangelo has switched from basketball to tennis. Would, yeah, how, how do you feel going into next year? Um, I think Isner has had a really good season. Um, semifinals of Wimbledon. Um, he did well in the U.S. Open as well. Um, and they got, what, the quarters of, of the French and, and U.S. Open? Is that right? Yeah, and he yeah. won in uh, Miami. That was his yeah. biggest result. Uh, He's 10th in the points race right now. Nishikori passed him when he, after winning Tokyo, but he was ninth before that. Yeah. So he's actually an alternate of an alternate. Like, he is the alternate. He is the second alternate right now. <laughs> also, I think Tiafo and Fritz give us, like, reason for hope. Like, both of those guys can ball. But, um, like, Query has had a terrible year. And Steve Johnson hasn't, like, been the trooper he usually is. And Sock has been done what he's done. Um, Johnson is actually having a very Steve Johnson year. He um he came he he went on kind of a run a mini run late 
and he's now 33rd in the points race. Oh, that's an incredibly Steve Johnson year. Yeah, yeah. Sneaks, sneaks his way into the club. They see his name in like small print, and then oh yeah, I guess you are in the list. <laughs> a, a border, a border, <laughs> a, a borderline seat at a major who nobody can really point to how they got their points. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, guy, like the guy that, you see in the draw and you hope wins, but don't actually want to see play. <laughs> no, I understand. So, uh, so, so you would say that sort of it's sort of Isner than Prey, or you feel like the young guys are just you know they're right where they should be. That those two that you mentioned, I guess they're probably twenty, so maybe they've even jumped the learning curve. You feel like they're going to keep kind of move, moving up the learning curve pretty well. Tiafu and Fritz. Yeah, I'm I'm bullish on them. Like I don't see either of them being number one in the world anytime soon, but I think they'll be. I think both will crack the top ten at some point, and maybe maybe get to the top five. They're they're not the future Sampras and Agassi, but they will definitely be able to take up the mantle from Isner and Sock. Yeah. How about this? How about this? Sock, how about the tennis Sandgren guy? I mean, he obviously exceeded expectations this year. He looked like he brings some game to the court. You think he can uh, kind of still do well under the radar? Or do you think it was flukish? Um. So there, there are um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six Americans ranked between 41 in the world and 62 in the world, at least in the points race. And Sandgren is number sixty-two. I think his his ranking is quite inflated from um, the uh, quarterfinal run at the Aussie. So um, I think, and he's twenty-seven years old. So in terms of people who you'd like circle as like the American hope, he's not one of them. Um, I'd actually be more bullish on Mackenzie McDonald. Yeah, I like yeah. his game actually. He's a fighter. Mackenzie McDonald is at seventy five in the in the race. He's the next Steve Johnson, I think, because he like won uh, NCAA nationals one year. Yeah, he's just Steve Johnson. Well, he's like the dark, not the dark of college. I guess what's the squash equivalent of Steve Johnson? Is it Navy? Is it uh, is it? Is GW what's what's our squash equivalent of Steve Johnson? Is yeah, it? I think Navy is a good one. <laughs> or Western it's Ontario. A, yeah, man is just in the P division. I actually think it's GW because actually maybe Western Ontario too, but uh, GW because Navy's too fit for Steve Johnson. <laughs> GW has like at least when I was coaching the GW team, they have their like top two or three guys who are, are very very talented. But they have a lot of extracurricular uh, uh, focus. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I understand completely. But he's good. He's always good for the poker game. You know, after the tournament ends. <laughs> so, uh, so back back to you know we mentioned Del Po, and I was thinking maybe we should give Del Sock. Maybe we should give Del Po the extra Del, so it could be you know Martin Del Del Po, whatever Del Del Potro. Uh, <laughs> How do you see the big four shaping? Not specifically, but like, if you were the big four, would you go all in on, on all four majors, or would you each each of you four uh, pick the sort of three majors 
that you, you're going to focus on and kind of have the fourth. Like if I just happen to be in town during that tournament, I'll, I'll lace them up and go for it. So we're talking about Murray, Nadal. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and a, a Joker. I'm leaving Murray out of this for now, but he'll be back in the conversation soon. But just Nadal, Joker, Fed, and, and Delpo. Because Delpo was pretty solid in all four majors this year. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, with Joker, he's just so dominant right now that he thinks he can win every tournament. And so with him, it's all about just not burning out and not having another like off-court crisis. Um, Federer is old, and he's already been not playing the French Open, so I think he's been doing what you're saying. At all, like, would, you keep, would you keep that, or do you think that that hurts him? Do you think he's maybe not fully sharp? By, I mean, maybe he's sharpening his grass sword for longer than the others, but it would feel like he wouldn't be as big match tough come Wimbledon as those, even if they just win a couple rounds in the French. I just don't think he can win um, a best-of-five clay court um, yeah. tournament with Rafa and Joker both playing well in the draw. So, like, if Rafa is injured and Joker is, like, like uh, having another, like, whatever he was yeah. before the last um, couple months, then, like, Fed can be, like... Uh, Okay, I'll play Roland Garros, but um, I just don't. I think it's not good for him. That's it's probably not, not great for his body. Yeah. And if he doesn't think legitimately think he has a chance at winning, he's probably doing it right. And then with Rafa and, and Delpo, would you would you just go all in on the first three majors of the year, uh, or if you were Rafa, would you? maybe pull back a little bit during Wimbledon, or you feel like, you know, just kind of play it by ear? Well, Rafa was like a game away from winning Wimbledon. Like, I think people, it gets lost that Rafa, like, almost beat Djokovic in that epic semifinal. It was 9-7 yeah, in the It was a flip of a coin, for sure. Yeah, and so, like, with Rafa, it's more about health. Like, uh, I think it's more about... Um, not getting injured in, like, managing his schedule so that he doesn't get injured. Um, and also, he's, like, in the two hard-court Grand Slams, like, he, pull, he, he pulled out with injury. He pulled out against Chilich in the Aussie in the quarterfinals and Delpo in the U.S. in the semifinals. So it's, like, uh, he, he's been getting far and playing well. It's just, like, can his body keep up and... Uh, I don't think taking a tournament off will make his body keep up. I see. Yeah, with with Rafa, he um, he made three semifinals and one and and uh, won the fourth major he played. Um, but I do think that they weren't fluke injuries um, at both tournaments, especially the U.S. Open. Um, he wasn't handling his business efficiently early um he actually had in hindsight an extremely tough draw in the u.s oh, yeah. open like uh Pashinov is number is top 25 in the world classically shavili is now number 19 in the world wow. and uh then team was playing out of his mind but the fact that he couldn't handle his business early meant mm. that like 
the effects compounded. And so I think, um, I think the key, and I think Federer saw that a little bit in Shanghai too. He wasn't able to take care of his business early, and then eventually, like yeah, he's like have you have to play four days in a row. It's going to catch up with you by the end. Four, four yeah. days in a row. And I don't know if you can plan uh, playing well versus not playing well. And so you know, but I do think they should, at least with Rafa, he should play all four majors, but really take it easy in the in between. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Delpo, same way. I mean, he looked like Delpo he was, the same miles he as the like he was, I think he should just go all out. He could actually be number two in the world next year if he does that. I don't think he should go all out because, like, uh, he's shown that he's even more injury prone than Rafa. Like, I think, yeah, I think he should play it extremely safe. Like, he uh, he sat out the Aussie. O- no, he didn't. He just didn't go that far in the Aussie Open this year. But probably uh, benefit actually. It's probably the reason why. Yeah. He did so Let well. me revise what I said. I think he should he should be extremely cautious with when anything risk related surfaces, but otherwise he should go all out. Yeah, I agree with that. I also yeah, I think it's just dumb to skip Grand Slams because when you're at the like when you're at the future Hall of Fame level, uh, there's nothing that matters more to your resume or your legacy than winning a Grand Slam. And those are, there are only four of them a year. So it's just like, you don't skip Grand Slams or take any of them off. It's just take it light in the other tournaments. Like Masters 1000s after you've won like three or four. I disagree. Um, Basically only because I think that it was, it's really, really smart for Federer not to play the French. Because like, at this point, he's extreme. He's like an old man on court now, and when points last more than four shots, he just like exposed as being an awkward mover. And at the French Open, points last a lot longer than four. He he can't keep them short, and so um, he's not going to win, and he is avoiding injury. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think he just. He puts himself in, I don't want to say in a bind because he plays those warm-up tournaments. He probably lessens his Wimbledon chances by like 10% because he's just not his big point um, condition at that point. But he sort of, you know, the flip side of it is that he wins most of his matches in, in lopsided fashion. So, you know, I guess this year he kind of tightened up on the big points against Anderson, and that that could happen again. He's probably a little bit more vulnerable in the tighter matches at Wimbledon, but more likely to to be playing with a full tank of gas from from the start of every match. So I guess that's a little bit of the trade off, and he's certainly probably the healthiest of the bunch going in. Yeah. Um, so so in this part of the year, um, what are the storylines that you've uh, you've noticed? It's like since the post U.S. Open. I'll start. I mean, I'm impressed with Corridge. I, I did, you know, he looked really bad against Delpo at the U.S. Open. Just didn't didn't look like, you know, he was up that tier, and then he kind of got it turned around. Uh, really impressed with Nishikori that he, uh, even though he lost to Fed, which is you know nothing to be ashamed of, that like he's kept up his summer momentum and seems to be, you know, really, um, he has rightfully earned, I guess, what ninth place on the on the points list. Maybe he'll bump that up, and then like. 
did Bashavili lose in the finals of one of the previous tournaments? He actually won Tokyo. Oh, he won it? Yeah. No, no, he didn't. Or Chef Beijing or something, right? Or yeah, Beijing. He won Beijing, I think. Oh, yeah. So he, him and Gasquet both, you know, are. He also. Reasons, but more impressive than winning Beijing is that he beat Jack Sock in the first round. Solid <laughs> <laughs> it takes. Solid it takes, yeah. Um, so that, those, those yeah, are all my yeah. storylines. Obviously, Djokovic just. Those, those are all. Those are all, like, very noteworthy storylines. Um. Let's just like table the fact that Joker is Joker beat Zverev six one six two in the semifinals of Shanghai. Like he's uh, he's just like a force. Let's let's uh, let's keep that conversation for the the next segment of the podcast. But um, to add to Mark, um, Daniil Medvedev is having like a really really strong end of the season. He actually beat Nishikori at the finals of Tokyo. Um, and then uh, the next day, I think, he played Federer in the first round of... No, he played somebody else in order to get to play Federer in the second round of Shanghai. And he lost in three to Federer. Um, so, like, an on fumes Medvedev still was able to yeah. extend. I think it beat a seed in the first round. I don't know if it was Stan, but it was somebody like... So he beat somebody good in the first round. Yeah. And so um, I would add that. And I, I do think another storyline is um, in Tashkent, the challenger event, um, Felix Auger, Ali Asim, he, uh, he had to qualify. I think maybe he, he signed up for the tournament too late. And he went from qualifying to winning the entire thing. Um, and that's just an encouraging sign because... He, not only is he now um, at a career high, I think at like 108 or something in the world, he's, um, he recovered, it shows that the heart condition is something he's like, that's not sidelining him. You think that's encouraging for Jack Sock too, who's likely going to have to qualify for every tournament next year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that'll just be fun to follow. Is that going to be his inspiration? He's gonna have to qualify for the challengers. Like some of the some of the more like prestigious challengers, Jack Sock is gonna to have to like qualify for. You know what it reminds me of is like on chess.com, like sometimes I'm just like inexplicably bad at chess and like my rating goes down from like in three minute games from around fourteen hundred to around twelve hundred and I just don't know what's going on. And then I and I start winning again and get back to fourteen hundred. So maybe he'll just like, maybe it's just like a slump like that. Well, uh, <laughs> any guess, Paris start is that is that in two weeks or a week from now? Because uh, we're, we're expecting you to do some, uh, you know, in the field or yeah, on the street reporting. So at least some on the sport, on the street selfies. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's beginning of November. Yeah, Bercy. Um, Rafa, last year he stayed in the hotel across the street from where I live, so I'll be um, stalking for sure. And, and speaking of streets, I, I, I think Djokovic won today as well. Are they, are they out there celebrating like they did uh, in, in mid-July? So it like, wasn't like, like mid-July just because it wasn't like Wimbledon. It was a uh, Masters 1000. So there were only a couple hundred thousand people in the Champs-Élysées, not, not like... 
the three million that there were. Right. We we didn't we never even went over that for the U.S. Open too. Like, like how crazy is France going right now for Djokovic? Dude, they they are just obsessed. Um. So the the streets were not flooded when he won the U.S. Open, mainly because uh, and during that time of the year, uh, most of the Parisians end up going to the south of France. Um, and so I, I hear the streets of Saint-Tropez and Nice and Cannes were just like flooded, but in Paris it was just a typical day. Um, but yeah, dude, France is like, like, there's just like a general sense of pessimism that the French go through life with, but like these last few months of Djokovic, um, Djokovic, uh, um, winning again has sort of served as a global warming effect to like the French <laughs> pessimism. Wow. Was the soccer team, and you were probably closer to the action, was the soccer team resentful when that happened? The fact that I know that they had won some games as well at the same time, they kind of got lost in the celebration shuffle, or were they just glad to have a few people acknowledge them, even if it was inadvertently? Yeah, I mean, if you won the World Cup and it was overshadowed by someone who's not even from your country winning Wimbledon, um, yeah, you would be a little bit resentful. I can imagine. <laughs> but we don't want our fans to be too resentful of, of the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're saving all of our, our best thoughts. Um, when, when, when can our fans expect to hear from us again? Um, I don't know. This is sort of our off season. So we just, we just do, we just do podcasts when we want to, maybe in a couple of weeks. Um, before we get off, though, there's one, like, talking about Chorich and then Sverev, uh, and then, like, Tiafo and Fritz and all those guys, uh, I want to, I want to hear your guys' in five years top five. I'm sorry, one more time? I want to hear your in five years top five. Jeez. My kid won't be old enough then. We'll start with Peter. Um... Three years or five? Can we go three? No, because Jeff will be a beast in three years. Yeah, so basically we're talking about when Rafa and Joker have, like, like uh, waned a little bit. I'll give, okay. of, I'll give it to you out of order then. Um, Superius, Dimonor, uh, Chorich, Gareth, and then somebody who's... I'm not aware of now. I think like Haiyan Chung. Maybe, yeah. Haiyan Chung, Shapovalov, Zverev, Chorich, and maybe, uh, oh yeah, Tsitsipas. Those, those five. And also, I think Felix is like enough of a phenom that like within, yeah, in five years he'll be top five. So I think those six will... Uh, Different points occupy the top five. Yeah, Peter, I'm um, I'm just looking at the rankings right now and seeing how old people are. Because I think like anyone under the age of like twenty, what like twenty seven, is still going to be like viable. Oh yeah, so like, I think team, uh, team is going to be in there. Um, He'll be winning the French Open. Zverev is already top five, so I mean, you're you're calling for a downfall if he 
if you think a 21-year-old top five won't be a top five in, in five years. Um, then I think, uh, and this is all going to fluctuate though, right? Because like, there'll be like eight or nine different people who reach the top five. And so it's all about like the frame you, you set on it. Yeah. But um, then I think, um, I mean, Shapovalov is the youngest person in the top 100 and he's he's uh like 27th in the singles race so i i put him in there um i think uh medvedev and uh and kashinov kashinov is nasty yeah so you you think they're better than sitsi pass Oh yeah, I forgot to, and then sits the pass and Chung. I mean, that's I feel like that's just people who will be top five is not is not unfair because it it does fluctuate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah Chung have to find their niche as well. They got they got to find the one surface that they want to dominate on, or at least be as close to dominant as possible. I think if they try to master all the surfaces, I don't think they'll actually the rankings will be as consistently high. Have yeah. have we given up Actually, on Kyrgios? Mark Demonor as well. I think, yeah, he's really good too. Have we given up on Kyrgios? Yeah, in any consistent way. At least five years from now, he'll just be lucky to be alive. Got to keep his head above water. So. Yeah, he, he is really like he's just like not very. There's just there's just like massive holes in his game. Um, he's got a big serve and all, but like everything else is is uh, is weak, and it all stems from his movement and his like head. Like, yeah, I think he's. Uh, I'm giving up. Yeah. Although he is 34th in the race, even despite all that. Yeah, he'll yeah. just he'll end up winning in spite of. He may win, but it'll be in spite of himself, not because of himself. No, I think that's just the others will win from from a more you know sort of intrinsic respect for the game, which huh. I just don't think he's there yet. I mean, I think he like loves playing. He loves tennis as a conceptually, but I just don't think like when he's on court, he just he's too uh, he's too unpredictable. He's too too yeah too distracted. Seems to be. Yeah. Just sad. Oh well. Well, let's let's reconvene before Paris. Where uh, Phil, it's on you to get a get an on the street interview with Jack Sock. He'll probably be Airbnbing it somewhere. So I would I would keep scouring, you know, for an inexpensive Airbnb, and he's likely to be there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, an inexpensive Airbnb. I might even put my place up. <laughs> <laughs> If you say, you know, make Airbnb great again, he's likely to, he's likely to say that. that is <laughs> yeah, I hear, I, hear, I hear that's the uh, secret code for Trump supporters are welcome. Boys, I'm going to sign off, but it's been fun. And to all of our fans, thank you as always for listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been fun. And uh, have a good rest of the night. All right. Bye.